0: And uh, we, Lord willing, will finish this chapter tonight, and from this chapter on, we'll be moving a little bit quicker. Uh, Chapters uh, 13 and 14 were kind of a pause uh, before the seven vile judgments that are coming. And uh, as God kind of, as we said at the beginning of the book of Revelation, there are times when God gives John an overviewing picture of... um, the a long period of time. So in this case, he gives him in chapters 13 and 14 kind of a broad overhead view of the next three and a half years of the tribulation period. And then we'll back up in chapter 15 and we'll kind of start back at the middle there and start moving forward again through it. So he kind of gives just a quick overview, kind of a high-level overview in chapters 13 and 14 of what's going to be coming in the next three and a half years. And uh, then he goes into detail with it from chapters 15 through about chapter 19, and uh, then we see all of the end time events coming to pass uh, that have been prophesied. <clears throat> In chapter 14, we saw three angels that came with messages. The first one came with the message um, of the the everlasting gospel, and there's a uh, we spent some time dealing with that uh, subject of the everlasting gospel and what a wonderful thing it is. To think not only of the fact that the gospel itself is everlasting, it has been from eternity past to eternity future, and will never change. Uh, that gospel story has been the same all through these years. And uh, the other thing is, the, the effects of the gospel are also eternal, and uh, how wonderful that is. And so he, he preaches uh, the everlasting gospel, but in, in his preaching, he also offers a word uh, of warning that God's judgment is coming. And so while he does preach to the inhabitants of the earth about the everlasting gospel, it's kind of God's last um, chance that he's giving, the last uh, bit of mercy that he's extending to folks to come to him and to uh, to uh, trust him as their Savior during this time period. The second angel comes, and he deals with uh, the what the Bible refers to here as Babylon. Uh, the Babylon that is spoken of here is referring to uh, the rise of the ancient Roman Empire that uh, will come back into power at some point, whether or not they'll be called the Roman Empire or Rome uh, is going to be um, not something that we consider. The Bible calls it here Babylon. We know that in that there will be a political rise, but there will also be a spiritual rise, and we believe that uh, the Babylon that is spoken of here in chapter 14 spiritually is the, the religious... Um, Result, if you will, from the Roman Empire, which would be uh, the Catholic Church uh, for years. It has been called uh, the Holy Roman Empire, and uh, in history that 's what it was referred to, and uh, which is interesting because it really was neither Roman nor an empire, uh, nor uh, was it Christian, and it wasn 't certainly holy uh, there was If you look at times of the Inquisition, you see the corruptness of it and uh, how difficult things were for Christians that trusted uh, in the Lord. And so we find that there's going to be a rise of this Babylon again, uh, and that's what the second angel uh, decrees. He talks about the the Babylon uh, being a great city full of riches and power and influence. He talks about the fact that she's going to deceive the nations, and cause them to embrace fornication in prophecy, this this doctrinal fornication, if you will, false worship, if you will, uh, and uh, cause the nations to uh, worship falsely. It's one thing, we made this statement last week, it's one thing for somebody to engage in idolatry uh, unknowingly or by deceit, but when you make the choice, when, and these folks, and we understand from what we've studied already up to this point, these people are, are choosing willingly to follow the beast and the false prophet and to worship him. And uh, it's one thing to to go into idolatry. It's another thing entire, entirely to rebel against God strongly and to intentionally make the choice uh, to do um, uh, idolatry and to, to worship uh, falsely. Um, Babylon is characterized uh, by their arrogance, by its arrogance, by its pride, by the fact that it is oppressive, it oppresses the people, there is vicious persecution that it it brings forward, and there is a hunger and a thirst for power, and uh, the Bible refers to it here (coughs) as uh, they cause the nations to drink of the wine uh, of her deceit, and uh, then Uh, we find in the third angel that comes as we get to the middle part of chapter 14. The third angel is where we talked about what we talked about a little bit last week, um, and he sounds the uh, warning regarding uh, those that are the worshipers of the beast, and he makes a mention of the fact that uh, the wrath of God, if you'll take time, let's look at it again, if you will, in verse number 9 of chapter 14. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And one of the important things we pointed out last week is that for all of the time since Adam and Eve uh, fell in the Garden of Eden and sin came into the world, for all of that time until today, God has extended mercy to man. He's done so by not destroying man immediately for their sinfulness. He's given us time and He's given us a free will and He's made a way for us to escape the punishment of our sin and He gives that to us as a choice. That is an extension of His mercy. And even in his judgment, it's interesting, we shared the story last week when David numbered Israel, and he chose, he had three choices to choose uh, what he was going to have for his punishment. God gave him the choice, and uh, one of them was to be three years uh, by pestilence in the land, and one of them was to be three uh, months overrun by the enemies, and then one of them was to be three days under the hand of God, and David made this statement. He said, I'll take the three days under the hand of God, and his statement was this, because I know... That He is a merciful God. And sure enough, God sent the angel of the Lord, uh, and he slays 70,000 men of Israel. But as as David goes up on Mount Moriah, and he's at the threshing uh, floor of Ornan, um, he uh, asks Ornan for a place to make a sacrifice and to build an altar. And of course, we know the story how Ornan says, uh, take it, I give it all, and what a great uh, self-sacrifice there is in that. And David said, I'm not going to sacrifice something that doesn't cost me anything. There's a great principle there. But the Bible says that when that happened, the angel of the Lord with a sword outstretched over the city of Jerusalem was seen. They could see the angel of the Lord. And God stopped the angel of the Lord. And he said, it is enough. And one of the things we see in that is when God chastens, and God does bring judgment now, even nowadays, he still is a God of of mercy but when we get to this point in history, all of the mercy that God has shown from the time that Adam fell until the, this moment in time in verse number 10 is gone. Notice what it says, he shall, uh, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out, and I want you to notice these two words, without mixture. It is not diluted. It is not tempered by His mercy. And right now, we're in a time where God's judgment is is hovering, is lingering, but we are under the temperament of His mercy because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. There's going to come a point for these people that have worshipped the beast, that have made their choice once and for all, where God's going to pour out His wrath in fullness of the indignation that He has for sin. And understand, with God being absolutely holy, The Bible says that in him is no darkness at all, none. The wrath that he has towards sin is something that our minds cannot fathom. And for his wrath to be poured out without mixture, we cannot comprehend. I don't know that John, even as well as he has written this, there are things that God, even in this this time of revelation to John, there are times that God says, don't write that. And there are times that I think that he shares some of these things that, that will give us an idea of what's to come, but I don't know that our minds can fully grasp the fullness of the indignation of God's wrath on sin. Not tempered by mercy. Because the only thing we know and can reference in our minds and understand is we understand God's justice and His wrath for sin, but we only know it is tempered by mercy. It will not be so. In this point in time, those that have chosen him, the first angel came and said look i 'm going to preach the everlasting gospel to all the world, and there 's one final chance for them and when they make that choice, this third angel comes on the, this, uh, third angel comes on the scene and says, "There is no more they 're going to pay for it and uh, Then we find in verse number uh, let 's go to verse number <clears throat> um, let's go down to verse number 12. Uh, let's go to verse number 12 will be a good place to, to start tonight. All right, verse number 12. So we find here uh, those that have worshipped, they've willingly chosen to worship the beast. God is bringing the wrath to them. He's, he's going to pour out his wrath without mixture. But then we find here in verse number 12 a different sort of people. These are not the folks that are worshipping the beast and the false prophet. These are the folks that have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they have remained faithful to Him. In verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die, notice this, in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Now I want to stop there for a moment because we see a stark contrast, do we not? We see those that have chosen to worship the beast, and God says, I'm going to pour out my wrath on them without measure. (coughs) But those that died in the Lord, those that he refers to here as being patient, they having patience of the saints. Understand that, that while these folks... Up until this time, were escaping the plagues that were falling. They were not escaping the persecution that was coming. And when when Satan realized with his battle with Michael that he could no longer be a part, could go to heaven, be in the, in the presence of heaven, and he's cast down to the earth finally, uh, and that's that's the last time he's able to do that. He gets so angry that he he just begins to persecute anyone that has the name of Christ. And remember, God has put a mark on those that were his. Remember that? He's put a mark. He has sealed those that are his. So it's easy to see this. There's a difference. But Jesus said, or John says here, Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. These folks were faithful unto death. And that's what I believe is spoken of here by the patience. They counted not their life dear." They were willing to follow Christ, no matter the cost. Compare that person with Christians today. If if tomorrow morning we woke up, now this won't happen because we're saved and on our way to heaven. When the rapture happens, we're out of here. But let's put ourselves a minute in this situation. If we had to live in something like this, I wonder how our faithfulness would be wonder how strongly we would hold to keeping the commandments in the midst of persecution. By the way, there have been Christians, millions of them over the years, that have done that. There are some even to this day that daily they are in fear of their lives to be able to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We here in America have it so simple and so easy and we think that somebody telling us that, that we can't go, we have to wear a mask to church is persecution. I don't like anybody telling me I have to wear a mask to church and I'll fight it till the day I die. But I'll be real frank with you, that's not persecution. That's inconvenience. We in America don't understand persecution. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says, you have not yet resisted unto blood there were some people who had had it easy they'd not had to, to die the martyrs that they not had to suffer the persecution where they're in fear of being arrested and beaten even 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 uh, killed for their faith so he speaks here of the blessedness of this crowd the one crowd that worships the beast they're they're cursed aren't they they they're they're going to suffer the wrath of god without judgment uh, without mixture but we're going to find here that these folks these martyrs the tribulation period in verse 13 he says right blessed are the dead which die in the lord it's wonderful because in the book of psalms the bible says precious in the eyes of the lord are the death of His saints and there's a wonderful picture coming here as he says from henceforth yea saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors this resting is the the turmoil of living in a sinful world and certainly for these martyrs a rest from the persecution that was coming And it says this, that their works do follow them. Can I encourage us in this tonight? It's not just those uh, in the tribulation period whose works will follow them, but the works that we do for Christ in this world will follow us. They are eternal works. They are works that will last through eternity. They are things that we do to share the gospel with other people that have eternal effects, and our works will follow us. I'm thankful that I don't get judged for my sin. Now that I've trusted Christ as my Savior and I've got that matter settled, I am no longer under the judgment of sin in my life with regards to whether I get to spend eternity in heaven or hell. But I am judged for my works. One day I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch as every work I've done since the moment I've got saved is going to be tried by fire. And some of them are going to burn and there's going to be a loss of reward. And some of them are going to come out shining, and I'll have rewards for them. Our works follow us. By the way, that ought to be a motivating factor for us to be faithful in this life. I'm amazed at how many Christians think, well, I'm not perfect, I'm sinful flesh, and so there's no use in trying. I'm not going to be able to do any better than this until I get to heaven. No, the truth is we can labor. We can grow. We can become closer to the Lord. And we can daily walk with Him. We can daily work on our testimony. We can daily work on living right. And there ought be a growth in the Christian life. Our works do follow us. And notice in verse 14, John says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the, capital S, Son of Man. Who do you think this is? This is Jesus, isn't it? I'll tell you what, what a wonderful description here. He says, I looked and behold a white cloud. Upon the cloud, one set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. He is the king of the saints. He's the one that will rule and reign during the millennial reign. But he is also one who is going to bring judgment to the world. And he sits here with the sickle in his hand. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he has every right to bring judgment. And another angel came out of the temple. Now, this is not speaking of the temple in Jerusalem. This is speaking of the temple that is in heaven. We're going to see that in just a moment. Crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So we see some, some pictures here that are given. Uh, The analogy that John uses, or the word picture that he uses, is that of a harvest. And so we find here that the reaper, the one that's going to do the reaping, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then we find uh, that uh, the harvest that is spoken of here is referring to the Gentile nations because this harvesting is a judgment of of sin. And we're going to see that as we read down through here. And so this harvest is uh, looking forward to uh, the battle of Armageddon. The next three and a half years, there's going to be a harvesting that God's going to do, this, this sickle judgment here uh, that's going to take place till the last three and a half years. Now notice what he says here as we continue to see kind of this last little bit of the broad overview before we get into uh, specifically the seven vile judgments. And he that sat on the... uh, Let's back up a minute. It says, uh, verse number 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. What did the Lord Jesus Christ tell his disciples back when he was teaching them about the harvest? He said, The harvest is truly, truly plenteous. It is white already unto harvest. Did he not say that? It was ripe over 2,000 years ago. The fact that God has prolonged His coming for 2,000 years plus years now only speaks to His tenderness, His long suffering, and His mercy. Yes, He's a just God. Yes, He's going to bring uh, His judgment on man without, without mixture. But it only speaks to His patience as a God. He talks about this earth being ripe, and the idea of the earth being ripe is ripe in its wickedness. Because we see in verse 16, if you will take the context of the passage, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth. So where is this harvest? This is not a heavenly harvest. This is an earthly harvest. And the earth was reaped, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle. And gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. These are not the vines that John speaks of when he quotes the Lord Jesus Christ, where he says, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. This is a different vine. This is a vine of the earth. And the Bible says, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine out of the earth, and cast it. This is how we know it's the sinfulness that God is bringing judgment upon he cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress. Again, speaking prophetically here of the end of the three and a half years, of this last three and a half years of the battle of Armageddon is to come yet. And he says that the blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That is... If you do your math, that is 1,600 furlongs. A furlong is about an eighth of a mile. If you use an eighth of a mile to use a present-day measurement so we can get an idea of it, a furlong is about an eighth of a mile. If you do the math on that, that's 200 miles of blood, not just laying on the ground, but as deep as the bridle on a horse. Could you imagine the blood flowing that deep for that many miles. When the Bible says that his wrath is coming without mixture, I don't know if our minds can really fathom the, 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 the immensity of this judgment. The full anger and wrath of God towards sin is being poured out without mercy. You say, well, isn't he a merciful God? Absolutely he is. That's why he sent the first angel to preach the everlasting gospel. By the way, that's why He has sent you and I into all the world to preach the gospel, because He's a merciful God. By the time He gets to this point, the mercy is over, and the time of judgment has come. I'm thankful we have a loving God. I'm thankful we have a merciful God. I'm thankful that God gives every single person the opportunity To trust Him as their Savior. It is their choice. He's not going to force them to do it. He's not going to make them do it. But if they choose wrongly, the mercy is over. And the judgment comes. You say, Pastor, that's such a harsh message. But God, being who He is, must be a just God. There has to be a payment for sin. Or else Christ died in vain. As we get to verse, chapter 15, we see the beginnings, if you will, of God lining up the seven vile judgments. 15, chapter 15 is a fairly short chapter. We're going to take a few moments to try to go through it, and maybe we can make it through eight verses in the next, I don't know, probably five or seven minutes here. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels, <clears throat> so uh, again, remember this. Chapters 14, or 13 and 14, kind of a high-level overview of the next three and a half years. Chapter 15, he's backing up now. He's saying, okay, here's where it starts, the beginning of the three and a half years. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. What a statement. And these angels, the Bible says, is filled up the wrath of God his wrath is full and i saw as it were a sea of glass with fire mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name <coughs> stand on the sea of glass having the harps of god i cannot say this definitively i'll tell you what i believe this is speaking of here I do believe it is speaking again of the martyrs that have died during the tribulation period. They're standing on a sea of glass, indicating that they are at peace, but it is mingled with fire. But I want you to notice that they're standing there, they've overcome the beast, they've overcome his image, they've overcome his mark, they've overcome the number of his name, and they have harps of God. What a re- great reward. As the, verse number three, I want you to notice what they're doing. They, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now, can I encourage us to read that carefully and slowly when we get some time this week and think and ponder on these things? These are are talking about the reality as as it begins to come into their minds and it dawns on them the fullness of who God is. Our minds cannot fathom that right now. I, I hope when we get to heaven, we can understand the fullness of God. I think there is so much more to know of him than we know at this point. And I don't like when people tell me, well, you praise the Lord too much. You just spend too much time talking about him. Is that even possible? I mean, think about what these martyrs are doing. They have paid the price. They did not hold their lives dear so that they could remain faithful and true to God. And God delivers them. And they're standing on the sea of glass and they have the harps of God and all they can do is sing. And they sing this song that says, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Recognition of Him. Oh, that we could learn to praise God like that in this life. I hope we don't have to wait till we get on the other side of, of, of eternity to be able to praise God this way. Uh, the Bible says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. For a Christian to hold his tongue and not be able to send, uh, sing, sing praises to God and not be able to talk, well, I'll tell you, when I get talking about God with somebody and His goodness and the things that He does, it ought to stir something inside of you. If something doesn't stir inside, you better check up on your salvation. Because you might be going through some motions there, but there ought to be something. And I'm not saying you've got to be all over the top. And, and, you know, I've been in places where they run aisles and they wave handkerchiefs. It might come out through your eye sockets as, as teardrops coming down your face. But there ought to be an overflowing of the heart. There ought to be something that the psalmist said, My cup runneth over. And I long for Christians to to have this idea and this view of God in such a way that our hearts are overflowing, our cup runs over. People see our testimony. It ought not be a labor that we're working towards. It ought to be the things that spill out of a spirit-filled life. We ought to be so full of the knowledge of God. We ought to be so full of what He's doing in our hearts that if we get jostled the wrong way, the, the word of the Lord just spills out and our praise to Him just spills out in a way of a testimony. I'll be real frank with you. If we could ever get that full up on the inside of who God is, have that kind of walk with Him, in relationship with Him, our testimonies would not be a problem. They would not even be a labor for us. They would be the fruit born of a heart that is full to the brim and overflowing. That's what these people are doing. They're singing these songs. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, o King, uh, uh, King, thou King of saints. I love that. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. You know, there is, no, there is no gospel other than the Christian gospel anywhere in Scripture. There is no plan of redemption in any religious teaching in Scripture other than the plan that God gives in the gospel story. There is one way and one way only to the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is great and marvelous. He alone is the king of the saints. He, is the lo- he alone is the one that should be feared, for He is holy. And you and I, we treat Him oftentimes as our good luck charm. Our Aladdin's lamp genie Not the great and the marvelous God who is to be feared and awed. To be revered and worshipped Oh, that we could get a new view of God. It would do a wonderful, wonderful thing to our hearts if we could find a few moments every day to just get alone and put our hearts and our minds on who God is, to walk with Him and to talk with Him, to read His Word and discover Him in the pages of what He has written to us, and to let our hearts be full and overflowing. To say, our cup runneth over. That's what these martyrs did. We're not going to finish chapter 15, I don't think, tonight. Let me read down. Just I'll read through the rest of it. I won't comment. We'll just pick up on that next Wednesday night. And after I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. So this is how we know that these angels that came out of the, <clears throat> out of the temple came out of the one that's in heaven. It speaks of it here. It says, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with the golden girdles. They have been in the very presence of God Himself. Can I tell you this? The closer we get the presence of God, the more purified our garments will become. I'm thankful that when God sees me, he doesn't see my garment. He sees the garment of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you cannot draw closer to absolute holiness and be okay with your sin. It will eat at you like a canker. These angels come from the presence of God, and they're in pure and white linen. They have uh, girdles of gold about them. One of the beasts, one of the four beasts, we don't know which one. It doesn't tell us. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden uh, gave unto the seven angels seven gold golden vials, and once again we see this term full, full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And then I love this in verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. I want to speak next week on verse number 8. We'll probably spend almost the entirety of the service on that. And please, if you can not miss that one, I try to be here for that, if you will. Uh, it'll be an encouragement to you. I think it may be a challenge and a charge to us that will encourage us in some things. Folks, can we leave here tonight with a renewed desire, I think is the best way to put it, a renewed desire to know God intimately, to know Him well, to walk with Him, to take the relationship that we have with him and say, Lord, it's not enough. I want more. I want to be closer to you. I want to see you more as you really are. I want to understand you more. And then can we, with a heart of gratitude, praise him? And I promise us this, and I think we can say this authoritatively from God's word, that it is taught throughout that the closer we draw to him, the less spotted we'll be with the world. The garments will become cleaner and cleaner as we draw closer and closer to a holy God. But we need to recognize who He is. We need understanding. God is not pleased with our sin. We see the great wrath that He's getting ready to pour out on those because of the sin. And I don't know if we can fully understand the magnitude of His wrath suffice to say it's going to be something unlike what man has ever experienced before. There are no words to describe it adequately. I'm thankful that God has given us his word not to tell us how mean and judgmental of a god he is when we see the, the when we see the magnitude of his wrath towards sin it makes the fact that he has made a way for you and I to not experience that, all the more precious to us. It, it causes us to look at Him with such great gratitude and gratefulness. I don't know if we can fully express it in our lifetime. When we realize what He has allowed us to escape. Oh, what a great God we serve. I hope, I hope we can live like these martyrs are going to live in eternity. I hope we can live in this way, this side of heaven. I hope we can live with pure and, and white robes. I hope we can live with His praise on our lips. And maybe, just maybe, if we could become full of the presence of God in our life, it might spill out. And maybe, just maybe, there'll be some more that'll trust Him as their Savior too. Because they'll see the work that God has done in us. And they'll hear from our lips the things that God has done for us and that he wants to do for them. I hope that'll be a help and a challenge to you tonight. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. And Lord, while we didn't quite finish all that I would have liked to have gotten to tonight, I believe that it's what you had for this evening. Lord, help us. Help us to have a little better understanding. That we would live day by day with eternity in view. To understand some of your magnitude